Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another episode. Today is the, uh, gosh, it's already Monday, April 10th, 2017. I'm Mike Pearson. My co-host is Delaney Howell, and you're listening to the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney, how are you? Good. I know. I was just sending out some emails actually from Commodity Classic follow-up, and that was a month ago, and I was like, oh gosh, I uh, probably should have gotten on this a little sooner, but yeah, it's April 10th already, and this weekend is Easter. Yeah, it's crazy. This weekend is Easter, and this week is tax week. I was reminded that I need to go into the accountant's office and give them a check to send in to old Uncle Sam. Uh, well, so you're not getting any money back, are you? Getting a little bit back from the state, thanks to oh, okay, uh, good. calf prices coming down this last year. I good. will get a little bit, uh, you know, not enough to really make a difference. Right. But uh, mm-hmm. no, I, I believe that if you're getting something back, you're not working hard enough. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. that's money you should have all year long. Mm-hmm. You know, you shouldn't let Uncle Sam hold it interest free for uh, <laughs> nine months. All right. Months. Interesting perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, hey, if you're going to be a lender, let's get some interest on that bad boy. That's how my bank works. <laughs> right. Yeah, that makes sense, I suppose. You know, and uh, so here we are, April 10th, and uh, it, interesting weekend. We saw a lot of the rain spread across. We had some thunderstorm reports throughout the, the Midwest. Overnight had some hail in northern Iowa, I saw. And uh, Delaney, did you guys catch anything in Des Moines yesterday? Um, I don't know. I actually got back this morning from Maryville, so I can't tell you. Couldn't tell you. Gotcha. We got the, the ground was wet, and we must have had some strong winds because my rain gauge is gone. So I have no no idea oh. how much rain fell, and I don't know where my rain gauge went. Well, I like the I like the nice weather at least. So yeah. sun's out, little breezy. I'll take it. Yeah, me too. You know, speaking of uh, sun coming out, us in agriculture a lot of times like to talk about how sunny things are in our industry, even when prices are down. And USDA uh, issued a report that I think backs it up a little bit. Um, Agriculture and ag-related industries contributed $992 billion to the U.S. GDP in 2015. Basically, we contributed 5.5% of uh, U.S. GDP. That's pretty impressive. That is. That is very impressive. Yeah. Also, speaking on a sunny note, um, Sunny Sunny Purdue, his vote is scheduled to be on Monday, April 24th, when the Senate returns from recess. So hopefully we will finally get a confirmation and he will be, um, what's the word I'm looking for, confirmed, Confirmed, I guess, as... The Secretary of Agriculture. So two weeks from today, basically, is when that vote will yes. happen. Yes. Okay. Yep. They're on a two-week recess that started Friday. So. Gotcha. And Delaney, holy cow! Congratulations on that transition. I mean, that that is a segue <laughs> worthy of uh, you know broadcasters Hall of Fame. Well, I kind of thought that's where you were going, but you didn't bring it up, so I thought, well, I might as well take that. Yeah, I, that wasn't where I was going. You're just that's you're going to be a pro here. You are a pro here, Delaney. I love it. <laughs> Um, you know, another thing, speaking of pros, look at this. We're just segueing one after another. Oh, my goodness. A lot of people go to college to become a pro in something, right? You studied mm-hmm. broadcasting or communications, yeah. yep. ag communications, so you're going to be a pro in it. Clearly, you are. A lot of folks go to college because they believe they have to. And ADM, uh, Archer Daniel Midland, came out. Their HR chief said, look, we have 
basically about 60,000 annual vacancies in the field of agriculture, and we can't fill them because there aren't enough mm. skilled workers because people don't view working a trade, whether it's it's welding or you know any number of, of trades, um, they don't view it as professional. And so right. ADM really wants to bring the focus back to encouraging young people to consider trade schools, consider two-year degrees, and they want to partner with the EEOC, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, to take an active role in developing nationwide workforce development uh, to encourage more of, of young Americans to go into these fields because there are fantastic paying careers that don't require four-year degree in you know, art history. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, usually you, uh, people assume those jobs are blue collar or white, which one's blue collar is the lower class, right? Well, blue collar is, yeah, you work with your hands. You're actually yeah, building yeah, yeah. something. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Right. And uh, yeah. So, I mean, basically they're saying that high schools and guidance counselors really have kind of led these people on. And now we've got an edu uh, a workforce that is very, very well educated, but they can't work with their hands. And so they can't do a lot of these jobs that are required. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't really ever know that not going to college was ever even an option or never even really seemed like an option. Sure. For you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And a lot of people, I think so. Right. And, and, and you're hosting a podcast that anybody can do. You don't even need <laughs> well, a high school degree yeah. to do this. Yeah, that's true. I suppose you need a laptop and a microphone. Mm hmm. Right. That is, you know, where technology should be leveling the playing field, but we've right. let it, uh, you know, stratify it further. Mm. And I know Mike Rowe, the former host of Dirty Jobs, yep. has, and so folks, if you're interested in promoting this kind of, of uh, job training, check out Mike Rowe Works, his foundation. He is out there, you know, speaking all around the country on, look, these are really good jobs with great benefits and, uh, you know, great atmosphere that we need right now here in America. And he would know. Right. And that's kind of, I think, where he got the idea, because he's got a college degree in like literature or something. Huh. But then in doing dirty jobs, he goes, look, you know, these are jobs that people, for whatever reason, don't feel like they need to do. And mm -hmm. because of that, there are great rewards in doing it. You know, a lot that's of times, interesting. you know, I, I've learned how to weld and I'm terrible at it. And. I just absolutely respect guys that can do it with skill, you know, mm -hmm. weld two things together and have them stick. <laughs> huh. That yeah. is a interesting, very interesting. Right. It is. Now, um, you know, one place where they have plenty of, uh, of labor is over across the Pacific Ocean in China. Delaney that Island. was another good transition, Mike. I know, kind of on a roll today. I'm feeling it's I know. coming out. But, yes. uh, you know, we had a meeting with, with President Trump and President Xi Jinping of China last week. Have we heard how that went? Well, the White House released a press release, I think, late Friday night. So I kind of skimmed through it. And there wasn't a lot of talk of agriculture and trade other than the two presidents have agreed to elevate existing bilateral trade talks. And they're going to establish a new cabinet level framework for negotiations. And so they're, the presidents uh, are going to oversee those talks and will have four pillars that those talks will be based on. So the diplomatic and security dialogue is one, the comprehensive economic dialogue, the law enforcement and cybersecurity dialogue, and then the social and cultural issues dialogue. So not exactly sure what a lot of those mean, but 
as trade talks continue, I'm sure we will see some of those pillars laid out for us. Hmm. Yeah, that was kind of a lot of bureaucratic speak, wasn't yes, it? Yes, right, okay. exactly. Another piece of the puzzle that I think not a lot of people are aware of, China has a very good relationship with uh, Syria, and coincidentally, President Trump released the bombs on Syria Thursday night after their dinner had ended with President Xi and his wife. So it will be interesting going forward to see if trade talks and the promises they made will happen or if President Trump has now angered President Xi again. Huh. Yeah, you know, I wonder. I can't imagine Syria is that much of a purchaser of Chinese goods. I would assume we win that battle. But, uh, yeah. you know, I guess, yeah, you, you bomb somebody's buddies, they're going to be less likely to be friends with you, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure. And I can't remember. I read somewhere what the relationship was, and I can't remember what it was now. But China and Russia both have pretty good relationships with Syria. But the Russia makes sense. And I can't remember. I'll have to look it up and see what the connection was with China and Syria. Okay. Yeah, that'll be interesting. We'll have to uh, report on that going forward. Hopefully, as more information comes out about yes. uh, the Trump-China conversation. You know, Delaney, one of the things that we, particularly those of us in animal agriculture, have been dealing with for quite a while is concerns amongst consumers that meat is filled with antibiotics, right? Growth hormones and antibiotics. Yes. And there was a report out, uh, was it Saturday, that KFC has promised to no longer use chickens that have been uh, treated with antibiotics? Yes, I believe it was Friday, actually, but okay. yes, that um, has come out. And they are hoping that by the end of 2018, all of their KFC locations will only serve antibiotic-free chicken. You know, and I, I get it. There's a consumer demand for it. Producers are already working to meet that demand. We're increasing the number of birds completely raised mm -hmm. without antibiotics. But as a, as a farmer... These headlines that came out on Friday and over the weekend really, really stoked my fire. Can I get on a soapbox, Delaney Howell? Please go for it. Okay, so for those of you who, who want to get fired up about something, Google antibiotic chicken KFC. Three stories pop up right on the top stories. The first one from CNN Money. Headline, KFC promises to ditch antibiotic-laden chicken. Second story from Ars Technica, KFC chicken will no longer be antibiotic licking good. And from AOL, as KFC shuns some antibiotics, the U.S. chicken industry deploys wet wipes and oregano. Now, of those three, the only one that's not absolute fear-mongering is the AOL story. <laughs> and I read it a little bit, and they talk about how producers Tyson and Purdue and a lot of their affiliates are moving towards raising birds completely antibiotic-free. Mm -hmm. The other two stories, Delaney Howe, how much antibiotic is in meat available at the retail level for any, any meat product? Are you asking me? I am asking you. Do you know the answer? I don't know the answer to that. None. One. No antibiotics in any meat at the retail level. It is all tested. There is there is no antibiotic laden uh, chicken I meat see what at KFC. I see what you're going. Yes, the birds yes. Birds are treated with antibiotics so they do not die. Now, I think that as I've mentioned, consumer pressure is a positive thing. We're learning new things about, like it was mentioned, different herbs that can treat these chickens. Positive all the way around. I just hate the way that these stories are told in the general public. And um, when Delaney and I, when you and I were at the National Association of Farm Broadcasters meetings, 
somebody asked Secretary Vilsack what his greatest uh, regret was as uh, Secretary of USDA, and he said that he had failed to make inroads in the general media with what agriculture is like. And a story like this, I think, really brings those to the forefront. Soapbox Well, and over. I think... I think Chipotle tried or has done something very similar to this. And it was interesting, all the pushback that agriculture gave them. And I know a lot of people that won't eat at Chipotle or McDonald's or Wendy's because of the way they raise their animals. Or I know McDonald's doesn't only source beef from the U.S. And so it's it'll be interesting to see the pushback that agriculture will give to KFC. You know, and, and props to KFC for this Chipotle, a little bit different story. They were really aggressive in their marketing mm -hmm. at taking on kind of all farmers. Um, KFC just says, look, we're getting a lot of requests from consumers that they do not want antibiotic-treated chickens in the food supply. So, you know, we're going to meet this consumer demand, and hats off to them. That's how a market operates. It's just how the Ugh, CNN money, KFC promises to ditch antibiotic-laden chicken. That just twerks me sideways, Delaney Howell. Is your soapbox finished now, Mike? Yeah, rant over. All right. Well, I have one more quick story here before we go to the markets. I believe it was last growing season in Florida. The citrus greening took over a lot of, um, what's the word for Orchards. Grove, groves. groves. I think it's groves, right. actually. Yeah, right. Yes. So citrus greening took over a lot of groves last year in Florida. And so now the USDA has come out saying that they're reviewing the potential environmental risks of planting citrus trees with a genetically modified virus that would make these trees resistant to the citrus greening disease. So if this were to go forward, that would mean big things for the Florida orange growers um, and I think there was some concern even that a lot of the groves in Florida were going to have to be de demolished and that Florida might not even be able to grow oranges anymore. So if this comes, if this GE plant comes through, that'll mean uh, tremendous things, I would think, for the orange grove industry in Florida. Yeah, you know, because that citrus greening i mean it had no cure it was spreading rapidly right. it was decimating the uh the citrus industry so hopefully right knock on wood we found a uh found a cure or at least a treatment i guess we'll just have to see how it all all fi finishes out yes but on another note mike let's read the uh, market prices for today there's a lot of green on the screen so there's a little positivity there there is there is you know and i wonder if we didn't have a trade that was relieved that uh, trump and china went over pretty well you know it's mm -hmm. especially on the protein side but let's start with the grains let's start here looking at the corn market may corn closed the day up seven and a half cents at 367 even december corn up six and a half cents at 391 even Ooh, can we start to test four bucks again in december corn stay tuned May soybeans, they're the only red. They were down a quarter of a penny, finished the day at 941 and three quarters. Novi beans up a quarter cent, closed at 949 and three quarters. On the wheat side, May Chicago wheat closed up four and three quarter cents at 428 and three quarters. December wheat closed up also four and three quarter cents, finishing at 474 and three quarters. Jumping over to livestock, we had some more positivity in the electronic live cattle. April fat cattle closed up a dollar and a nickel, finished at 121.10. June live cattle up 35 cents at 112.15. In feeder cattle, April feeders up a dollar 55 at 135.30. 
May feeder cattle closed up a dollar fifty at one thirty five thirty seven and a half. Down to lean hogs, April lean hogs unchanged on the day at sixty three thirty two and a half. May lean hogs up thirty five cents, finished at sixty nine thirty five. And Delaney, I'm gonna go ahead and read this next market because it pertains to who we're talking to today. Class three milk, April finished down two pennies, closed at fifteen oh eight. May milk closed down seven cents at fifteen oh three. With that in mind, Delaney, do you want to tell us who we're talking to today? I would love to. We are talking to Carrie Mess, also known as Dairy Carrie on social media. She is an advocate for agriculture, didn't grow up in the dairy industry or even in agriculture, but has really taken on a role of marketing her family's dairy, being an advocate for the dairy industry. And she is going to talk to us today about the current conditions with the grasslands scandal, if you will. So let's kick it off to Carrie. So joining us now is Carrie Mess, also known as Dairy Carrie, and she started in the city but moved to a farm eventually later on in her life. But Carrie, tell us what that was like, getting involved in agriculture later on down the road and not being involved right away as a lot of people in the industry are used to. Yeah, I grew up in Madison, um, Madison, Wisconsin, and had really no connection to agriculture whatsoever. Like the closest I got was um, our house was on the same road as World Dairy Expo. That that was my big connection gotcha. to ag. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, in October I'd see trailers. That that was mostly what I knew about agriculture. Um, I ended up meeting uh, the son of a dairy farmer and many years later after meeting him uh, we started dating and um, ended up married and uh, he was not on the farm when we got married but um, shortly after we got married uh, I decided to leave my job and see if I could hack it as a dairy farmer uh, with his parents and really fell in love with farming and agriculture as a whole so and that was uh, almost eight years ago and He's been back to the farm full-time for four years now. So where from Madison did you end up moving? How far uh, out of town are you? I'm only the next county over. It's kind of nice. I'm only uh, 35 minutes from Madison. So my my house becomes a hotel during Dairy Expo, that's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I bet that's fun. I'm sure you have all sorts of stories. But uh, tell us, you started a blog, Dairy Carry, in, what was it, 2011? Yeah, about five and a half years ago. What prompted you to start a blog? You know, I just kind of did it on a whim. Um, I just had had figured out that there were things that I was learning that other people were interested about. As I learned more and more about farming and agriculture, um, all the people that I was connected to that also uh, had no connection to agriculture, the people from my my previous life as a city kid, um, really found it interesting. So um, I, I started writing what I was learning, and it really kind of took off from there. What's been the biggest question of non-farmers when they uh, when they reach out to you? Oh, I have so many different questions. I don't even know that I could pick one biggest question. Um, I talk everything from how we care for our animals, how we care for our land, to try to do a lot of myth-busting about what's in milk or what's in dairy products, Um, just a little bit of everything. Gotcha. There's a lot of ignorance out there when it comes to agriculture. 
Yeah, and I think a lot of people on ag tend to think, oh, these city people are so stupid or they're so dumb, and, and that's not the case at all. They just don't know what we do, and, and that's not their fault because I couldn't necessarily step into any any of their jobs and do their job and know everything there was to know. So I think it's, it's uh, unfortunate that too many times people in agriculture look at our customers as, as being uh, – uh, stupid or dumb when it's really not the case. They just don't know, and, and it's our job to make sure that, that they do know. Right, and I look at that, right. I'm not a computer coder. When I met with somebody right. to help with some website design, it was like, whoa, I have no idea what you're <laughs> talking about, but that's not my field. Yeah. Right. I have a website. I still hire people to make it work. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> now, one of the things... Speaking... That, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Delaney. I was just going to say, really quick, before we jump into this whole grasslands issue... Speaking of your website, it, you have a little um, ad, I guess, if you want to call it, on the side that says Dairy Girl Network. And I know you're a part of that, but what does that network do for the dairy industry? Yeah, I'm actually a board member on the Dairy Girl Network Board of Directors. Um, it started uh, five years ago as Dinner During Expo, trying to connect women in our industry. And um, since its humble beginnings, and I said five years, it's actually four years um, since its humble beginnings, we have grown um, into a, a real true uh, a group of women working to help women in our dairy industry connect, achieve, and inspire each other. So um, our whole goal is to make sure that women, um, whether they're on the farm or in industry, uh, have a place to go to get ideas, to find people with answers, and to become better better wo- women and, and dairy women. Uh, better leaders, better better people for for all of our good. That's great. That's uh, that's an important issue. Now, one of the other important issues that's currently going along, and Dar- and Carrie, maybe you could give us kind of the ten thousand foot view. What is happening with milk production in Wisconsin today? What is what's got everybody all riled up? Well, uh, last week, um, about 75 farms in Wisconsin and a few of those 75 were in Minnesota received a letter from Grasslands um, letting them know that at the end of April, they would no longer be picking up their milk. And so these 75 farms would no longer have a place to market their milk, um, which is uh, kind of a really big deal for farmers, for dairy farmers. We, We can't just hang on to our milk in a bin until um, we want to sell it. It has to get picked up and has to have a home to go. So these farms all got this notification, and what it means for them is they have to find a new place to go with their milk. In years past, this wasn't as big of a deal. Things uh, like this have happened in the past, not exactly like this, but things like this have happened in the past, and in the past, uh, farms would have new milk companies and co-ops lined up in the doorway wanting their milk. Unfortunately, that's not the case anymore because Wisconsin and our industry as a whole um, has a uh, overproduction of milk right now. There's too much milk on the market. Our dollar is strong, exports are weak, and there's just nowhere to go with this milk. So these farms um, are facing a very uncertain future in a very short amount of time. And so this grasslands had to take this action because was there a change in Canadian law? Well, there's been back and forth on this uh, quite a bit. There were changes to Canadian milk classes 
that allowed Canadian farmers to produce milk um, in this this powdered uh, category um, for the same price that Canadian producers could get it from the U.S. and previously they couldn't. Um, so they instated this new class or got this new class going as of um, April 1st and informed grasslands of that at that time that they would no longer uh, be purchasing that product from grasslands. So grasslands lost a very large customer and then in turn had to cut off a lot of their farms. Because grasslands is an American company buying American milk and then was shipping it into Canada. Is that correct? Uh, it wasn't fluid milk. It was a, a um, powdered product, but yes. Uh, grassland makes a lot of butter. And the thing about butter is when you make butter, you still have uh, milk left over. Uh, once you take the butter fat out of the milk, you have a skim milk product left over, and they were powdering that and uh, powdering the protein and sending it to Canada. Canadian producers were using it in their cheese making. Gotcha. And so now gotcha. essentially Canadian producers are or processors are able to produce that powdered product so they don't want any more of it coming across the border. Correct. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. cool. Now, Carrie, your farm wasn't one of the ones affected by this whole issue, but I'm sure you've been in contact with a lot of the farms that are being affected. What do you think this is going to mean for them? Yeah, we um, we had actually looked at switching to grasslands this last year, and we didn't, and I'm, I'm thankful of that now. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but several of our neighbors are uh, farms farmers with grassland and were affected with this letter. So right now they are um, in just an emotional turmoil, um, total uncertainty, because there have been no concrete answers of what is truly going to happen. Um, the you know various agencies in our in our state um, and, and political um, our, our elected officials I should say have all been working on this issue trying to you know find places to go for these for these farms but nothing is concrete and and the wheels are moving but they are moving slow and uh, this is uh, coming up so quickly this deadline it it just um, and, and such momentous decisions have to be made before the deadline, um, it, it seems like it's just taking forever for many of these farmers. Mm -hmm. Well, and so that's one of the things that keeps this story in the news is Canada's dairy industry is a lot more, I guess the word would be protected, than the American dairy industry. Where does this action fall with regard to any trade agreements or the World Trade Organization? I mean, it's as much a political issue as it is a market issue. Yeah, so um, <laughs> that's a, a murky area right now. Um, the, a lot of the politicians are, are calling for, and I, I called for on my Facebook um, page, and, and I still back that up, that we need to have better trade agreements. We need to be working on bipartisan um, agreements to to not forget our agriculture industry here. So um, we need to have some kind of, uh, I, I don't want to say I want protection for farms because that's not what I'm calling for, but we need strong trade agreements that won't leave farms in a lurch like this. Gotcha. I was looking at your website or your blogs earlier today, and I noticed that you had one titled Dear Paul Ryan, did you really send this letter 
to Paul Ryan asking for help with this issue? I did. I did. And we actually uh, had a call with his staff and several other uh, staffers from uh, other elected officials' offices with uh, myself um, and other people from other uh, dairy agencies and then several of the affected farmers. Uh, we had a call with them last week already. So it, it helped. <laughs> what, As it stands today, what does the future look like after that phone call? Does it sound like uh, the wheels are turning to maybe get some either some kind of relief, or are there other processors who might have capacity to take in this additional milk supply? The wheels are spinning, but we just don't know enough yet to know what's going to happen. There's progress, but uh, not enough to feel confident about uh, what direction everything's going. Gotcha. So it's really a wait-and-see game right now, unfortunately. Very much so. Can you tell us a little bit about what the processor situation on this side of the border looks like in Wisconsin? I know in Iowa we had a pretty big plant closed down this last year, um, and that's – I know Iowa dairies, I, I believe we're shipping out quite a few million pounds of milk into Minnesota and Wisconsin. What are Wisconsin farmers looking at as far as the processor uh, situation as a whole? Well, we're very fortunate in Wisconsin that we have lots of processors. Um, we have lots of co-ops. We have lots of creameries, cheesemakers. We have a lot of options. And there's other places in the, the country where you're lucky to have one option. So we, we do have lots of options. And generally, Wisconsin actually operates in a milk deficit where we uh, do bring in milk from other states because uh, we have so many processors and we just uh, don't have enough enough cows and milk in our in our own state. So, um, but right now that's not really the case because again, there's just so much milk everywhere. I know that there's a lot of milk coming in from Michigan um, into Wisconsin right now. Michigan um, has some plants that are, are being built and I, I don't know but they really have a big milk but They have to ship milk out of state to, to find homes for it. And a lot of times that milk is at a reduced cost. So it's pretty attractive to the processors in Wisconsin to use some of that or Michigan milk. Gotcha. So, yeah, that makes sense. Just in general, this upper mid Midwest milk shed, there's just a lot of milk right now. Mm. Well, Carrie, for those listeners that maybe aren't from Wisconsin but want to know more about this issue or how they can help out, where what resources are there available? Oh, gosh. Um <laughs> Right now, um, everything is kind of uh, being done behind the scenes. Um, there's a, a lot of behind the scenes work going on. Uh, I'll continue to update uh, on my Facebook page as we we get information in and share more stories from, from producers. But um, at this point, there's just a lot of people that are kind of all hands on deck, and I don't think there's one specific place to go to to follow this information. Well, could you, before we let you go, just tell us where people can find you on Facebook, Twitter, or on the web with your blogs? Well, sure. I'm Dairy Carry everywhere. Okay. <laughs> uh, every every social platform, it's Dairy Carry, and my blog is DairyCarry.com. <laughs> 
Again, that was Dairy Carrie, and she mentions her platform on all social media is Dairy Carrie. And we mentioned in there her letter to Paul Ryan. So be sure and check that out on her blog site, dairycarry.com. It's a really good letter, and it sounds like she got some answers and response from it. Although it wasn't a very definitive answer, they did reach out and get back to her about it. They did, and you know, so this this decision, this whole process basically un- unfolded last week, and the deadline that she referred to, these Canadian uh, processors will quit accepting that product on May 1st. So it's 20 days away. That's why they're all so nervous about the time crunch mm-hmm. they're in to find a new home for, uh, I believe it's about a million pounds of milk per day. Delaney, is yes, that correct? Yes, that is that is correct, Mike. Jeez, gosh. Well, everybody keep, uh, keep your eyes open on this issue. International trade has a phenomenal effect in agriculture going in all directions. So, boy, Delaney, what do we have coming up? Carrie and I have been in contact, and she is hopefully helping me find some other people in the dairy industry in Wisconsin that have been directly impacted by this grasslands issue. So I'm hoping we'll have a farmer on later this week to talk about the whole thing and how they've been directly impacted. But besides that, I think we... It'll be a surprise to see who we have on later in the week, but be sure to like us in iTunes or wherever you get your podcast and subscribe to us so you know when we have updates. And if you have any questions, comments, ideas for us about what you want to hear, you can message us on Twitter at Ag News Daily or feel free to shoot us an email, which is info at agnewsdaily.com. But with that, Mike, do you have anything else to add? I don't. I want to wish everybody a very happy and successful Monday, and we'll be back same time tomorrow.